صلي على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم جزاكم الله خير everybody for coming to this Mirhab Foundation Sacred Knowledge class uh, I know previously Sheikh Qasim was teaching I think he was teaching tafsir last year um, but uh, we decided to change it up some different uh, scheduling conflicts and various reasons uh, so my name is Omer um, just a little introduction about myself uh, I was actually pretty much lived in Seattle my whole life. I'm about 30 years old. I went to school for business. I was very involved with MSA, MSA Northwest. Um, I was working after some time, after I finished uh, school, and then I went to South Africa for about six years. Um, and I came back about six, seven months ago, earlier this year, and then I joined Mihrab Foundation. Um, and now we're just doing what Sheikh Hassan's been doing, trying to help him out around the community, inshallah. Uh, so this class, um, this is a class that, uh, speaking to some of the students, we wanted to know, you know, what types of things people wanted to learn, what would be a good subject matter. Um, what we were told, or the feedback rather, was that, you know, we, you don't want something that's like extremely technical, and also obviously you guys are busy, have classes, finals, tests, all these types of things come up. So, you know, although it would be preferable and best if everybody was able to attend every class, but if you miss a class, uh, you shouldn't be totally lost you know, as far as what happened. It's not really a class that builds on itself week to week. So, like, if you miss a concept or something, um, you know, we may end up repeating it. But, um, inshallah, you know, it shouldn't deter you from coming to a future class. So this class will be um, based on Imam Ghazali's book uh, called The 99 Beautiful Names of Allah. So Imam Ghazali, rahimahullah, some introduction uh, about him. Actually, rather, before we begin, um, we just have a sign-up sheet here, like a registration sheet. So, you know, attendance to every single class is not mandatory, but we do request that everybody just sign up. It's just your, your name and email address. <clears throat> um, and what it does is we're going to have this like a database. So if there's any, you know, schedule changes for the class or class cancellations or anything like that, um, sometimes I may, you know, send out some notes or uh, some templates or any, some information regarding the subject matter. Then we can get it to everybody rather than sending it out like mass email to everyone, you know. Um, and then also, uh, Mihrab does have like a specific UW uh, registration sheet. Sometimes different ulama, shiuch come, or there's programs that are maybe in Islamic house or on campus, so that way we can send you uh, specifically to you guys that this program is happening, whereas we, don't, we might not advertise it to the greater community. Um, so inshallah, if you could register on it, we won't send you junk mail or those types of things. It'll pretty much be class-related and then um, you know, Mihrab-related as far as what's happening around the community. So Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, this is a, a book of his. Now, Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, his name was Abu Hamid Muhammad bin Muhammad al-Ghazali, rahimullah. It's a name that most people are familiar with. Most people have heard. Uh, he was a great jurist, a great faqih, a great scholar in every aspect. He lived, uh, in his, he lived from about 1058 until 1111, uh, common era. Hijri date, he was about 436 until 505. So he was somebody who was known as Hujjatul Islam. Hujjatul Islam, which is the proof of Islam. Because he, was, he came about at a time when a lot of the philosophical books, Greek philosophy, those books had been translated and were now available to much of the world. And a lot of people who did not have comprehensive or complete knowledge in the deen, they were analyzing these works and then it was causing them to, to be confused about the deen. Uh, because they were looking at philosophical points and Islam is a, it's a religion that has a lot of depth in its sciences. 
And unfortunately, if we don't, if we're not well versed, we don't realize how deep it can go. Uh, it's interesting. Sheikh Qasim actually was telling me that uh, he did an aqidah class, which is our beliefs, and these are concepts that everybody should know. And when he did this class, feedback after the class was, you know, it was too technical and too high level. Um, however, it's things that we should, every Muslim should know. So the sciences do get very deep, and obviously, you know, depending on the, you know, what the atmosphere is and the environment, and the purpose of the class, you may go deeper in some aspects and not deeper in other aspects. So Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he came out at this time. This is when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose him and he emerged onto the world. He was already a great scholar. Right, the Dars al-Nizami, which is a, it's even used today, it is a system which at the time was like a 12-year system. Right, a 12-year system of schooling and scholarship. And he was already the head, the chairman of this, this uh, type of schooling, this university, you could say, in Baghdad. And at that time, obviously, Baghdad, everybody knows, was, was the hub, the center of the world for learning and knowledge. Now, he was already the chairman of that, which means at a scholarly level, he had already achieved greatness. However, he felt in his life that there was something that was still missing, something missing from his life. So he took this hiatus, and he disappeared for a little while, kind of traveled around the world, and he went in search of the soul and the spirit. He wanted the spiritual aspects of, of the deen and of Islam. Because we can have knowledge, and we can memorize a lot of things, and it's very informational. But if it's not strengthening our iman, if it's not strengthening us in our deen, uh, and we don't have that, we're not developing that connection and relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then our soul has been deprived. So we pray, for example, and we go through the motions, but we don't feel anything in our salah. Whereas the Prophet said that salah is something that will wash away all your sins, and it is something that protects you from sinning. Similarly, Rasulullah said to renew your iman with La ilaha illallah. That La ilaha illallah will prevent you from sinning. Yet we say it and we don't, we're not stopped from sinning. Because we are not, the, 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 what's, what's wrong is not the medicine that the Prophet gave us. What's wrong is the way that we're taking it. That we have deprived our souls and our hearts have become so dead that we're just memorizing information. We know so many things. Even today's time, right? It's the information age. We know so much. Never has knowledge on any matter, but Islam as well, been so readily available at our fingertips to so many people all at once. Yet, we're probably the weakest we've ever been as an ummah. Right? We're the weakest we've ever been in our relationship to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, and, and the adversities that we're going through as an ummah, in, maybe in America, in the West, in, around the world, the adversities are great today, but the ummah has faced much greater and much worse adversities in the past. Right, much worse adversities in the past the Ummah faced. And it lived through it and it survived and it blossomed into something great after those adversities. Yet we keep, feel like we keep getting knocked down. The, what's wrong here is that our soul is not intact. Our heart has not been awakened and, and is not alive with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and this attachment to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is what Imam Ghazali rahimullah was feeling. So he took this hiatus. And he was gone for several years and then he came back and he was, became known as Hujjatul Islam because he embodied in knowledge and in spirit, knowledgeable, in the knowledgeable state and the spiritual state, he embodied the proof of the faith. So he would go, then go and he would debate with the different philosophers and he would silence them in their debates. So he became known as the proof of Islam. And this is something, you know, the ulama say that this deen, Islam, is passed on from heart to heart. It's not learned through books. It's passed on from heart to heart. Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, once he once he encompassed this, once he embodied this, because the knowledge was there, the informational knowledge, the intellectual knowledge and philosophical knowledge was there. 
but the spiritual had not been attained. And once he brought the two together, then he, you know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed him to the world. You know, he revealed him to the world and he became known as Hujjatul Islam. He wrote many different works. One of his most famous works, known as his Magnus Opus, right? His most famous and renowned work is Ihya Ulumuddin, which is the revival of the religious sciences. Now, this is a very lengthy book. And what the ulama have said about it is a couple of things. They've said that if every other book, Islamic book, was destroyed in the world and lost, with the exception of Quran, obviously, if everything else was lost but Ihya Ulumuddin remained, this would be enough for us, for our guidance. Obviously, the Qur'an would still be there, obviously. But aside from the Qur'an, if everything else was destroyed, this Ihya al-Mudin would be enough for our guidance. It contains everything. And men, much of it has been translated today. Uh, you'll have things like this, right? This is one portion of Ihya al-Mudin. It's been taken out and translated. You have other portions that are sub-sections sub, uh, of the book, and they comprise of thick books, right? There's one, Remembrance of the Death and the Afterlife. That itself is like a very thick book, but it's one, one subsection of, of uh, Ihya al-Muddin. So he wrote this book. Another thing the ulama said about it, they said, مَنْ لَمْ يَقْرَأْ الْإِحْيَا لَيْسَ مِنَ الْأَحْيَا That whoever has not read Ihya, whoever has not read this book of Imam Ghazali, then he is not from amongst the living. Because this was revival of the Islamic sciences. So he revived the soul and the spirit and the heart of Islam through this book. So it's a book that is it's worth having, or at least you know, portions of it are worth having if we can't have the whole thing. And it's worth you know, looking into. So the reason we've chosen this book, The 99 Names of Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, is because speaking with people, reflecting into my own life also, we've, you know, we don't have this connection with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala that we are meant to have. We don't know Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. Right? The, highest aim, the highest aim in our life is to please Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. There's no loftier aim. This doesn't mean that if you're doing something so that you will be awarded Jannah or not doing something so that you can be protected from Jahannam, then you shouldn't do it. No, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us those examples, right? Told us that if we do A, B, and C, we'll have Jannah. And if we stay away from X, Y, Z, we'll be protected from Jahannam. He's given us those for a reason. So that we can be encouraged to do good and stay away from evil. But the higher aim is not to attain Jannah or stay out of Jahannam. Rabia Basriya, rahimullah, who is a great, uh, uh, who is a great woman of Islam, lived uh, very early on. Uh, she was, I believe she was a tabi, meaning she, she may have met some of the, the companions of the Prophet She said that she made a dua, that she would make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. She was an ascetic, right? She was known as a Sufi, you can say. So she would make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, supplicate to him saying that, Oh Allah, if I do good so that I attain Jannah, then keep it from me. And if I stay away from bad and evil to avoid your jahannam and your punishment, then throw me into it. This is a very lofty status. It's not you know, a, a supplication we should make, but her level was much higher than, than, than ours. Um, however, this is an example of the highest goal that we can have, which is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To do something and to do it solely for the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And what stops us from doing good and staying away from bad? We know what, what things are required of us. We know what things we should stay away from. But what stops us from going down that path of goodness? It's because we have a sickness. And this sickness is our lack of love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is the missing ingredient. If we truly love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then that will be enough for us to do whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks of us. You know, Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, the beloved wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, she said that, 
she tells us the, the wisdom behind how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the Qur'an. And she says, for example, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Makkin period, right, when Islam was something new to the people, when their iman was not as strong yet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not give very many uh, rulings. He did not give very many ahkam and laws that this is prohibited and this is required and so on and so forth. A few things were there, but not very much. In the Madani period, once they, the hijrah was made and they went to Medina Munawwara, that's when you'll find more rulings and, and laws come into play and be revealed. So she says the reason for this is because had in the beginning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said that you know, fornication is not permissible and drinking alcohol is not permissible and these types of things, gambling is not permissible, the people would have said, I can never achieve this, so this religion is not for me. First what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did is attach the hearts to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to Him. To attach the hearts to Rasulullah sallallahu and to the deen. Once the hearts were attached and the love of the Prophet sallallahu and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was there, then when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the, the ruling, for example, of alcohol, the prohibition of alcohol, what happened? The streets of Medina were flooded with alcohol. Some of the Sahaba, they, they induced themselves to vomit, those that had just drank alcohol. They forced it out of them. They, they just threw it out without a question. Whereas, you know, in America, for example, in what, like the 1930s or something, the prohibition came on alcohol and eventually they left it because it was too difficult. No one wanted to leave it. And now we have today what marijuana has been made, made legal, you know. So this love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to be there. And how can we love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? So we get to know Him. And that's what happens. You get to know. First, there's infatuation with an individual. For example, there's infatuation with them. The more we get to know them, the more that we can love them. So it's funny, oftentimes a lot of teenagers will come and they'll, they'll tell us that, you know, I need to get married to this girl, for example. We say, okay, why do you want to get married to her? Well, because I love her. Okay, if anytime somebody, I ask them, why do you love her? Well, she's perfect. If you think somebody is absolutely perfect, then, you know, you probably, I would question what level of love you can truly attain for them. Because love is something that comes after you, know their shortcomings, and then you still love them. When you know their shortcomings and you still want to be there for them, you still want to love them, right? Then you can say that I love this person, knowing their shortcomings, because it's easy to love something that's absolutely perfect. Right? Loving Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is easy. Loving Rasulullah is easy if we just get to know them. The more you know somebody, then, you can, then your love for them increases also. And so we don't know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If we learn what these names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala are, then it is in that hope and with that intention that we can love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and get to know our Creator and then establish this relationship with Allah ta'ala and let that be the reason or a, a means for us to do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks of us and do what, what would please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the reason why we have uh, chosen this subject matter and this book in particular. There's a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu wherein he said, he said that uh, whoever memorizes the 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Allah ta'ala has 99 names. And whoever memorizes them or whoever learns them in another narration, then for him will be Jannah. He will be granted Jannah. This is enough reason for us. This is a reason for us to, to know these names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But loving him should be enough reason for us to go and want to learn these names. Not so that we can have Jannah. That's why we learn them. Does everyone understand? It's like, they have a technical point. Yeah. Right, so that's why there's another narration that says whoever learns these names. So then it, the question comes down to what does it mean to actually learn them, right? And this is the whole concept, the aspect of 
information that we have versus acting on this information. You know, in, in our madrasa, our teachers would always tell us that you can go and memorize and get all this information. For example, there's a lot of, maybe, uh, there's a lot of people that are not even Muslim, right? Who might have a great amount of knowledge about Islam. Who might have a great amount of knowledge about Islam. But it doesn't lead them to Islam, for example. You know? It doesn't lead them to follow the dictates of, of Islam. So he said, what is the difference? The difference is that when you learn something, that when you learn something, it's information. But for it to truly become knowledge and ilm, it has to come into practice. And this is why the companions of the Prophet some of them took 10 years to memorize Surah Baqarah. 10 years to memorize one surah because they would not memorize the next portion until they acted upon the portion that they'd already memorized. And so learning these names entails everything that, uh, that comes with the names. Right, and that should enable us to, to, act, uh, uh, to act in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would be pleased with us. Because it's a good question you had, because Allah, Rasulullah said in a hadith that you know, the first people to be thrown into the fire of Jahannam, the first people to be punished, will be that person who went out and fought in the name of Allah, that person who learned, the scholar who, who learned, and, who, uh, and the person who memorized the Qur'an. Those will be the first people thrown into the fire of Jahannam. The reason is because they didn't do it out of sincerity. They did it to show off. They did it to gain the praise of people. And then, specifically the scholars, right, and the people, the, the hufa, those who memorized the Qur'an, they didn't act on what they had, had learned and memorized. So they did it not for the sake of Allah, and they didn't bring into implementation what they had learned. And so that will be a reason for them to be, that will, then knowledge becomes a proof against us. That's why when we supplicate, there's a supplication that we say, Oh Allah, we ask you for beneficial knowledge. Right? Allahumma inni as'aluka ilman nafi'a. That we, oh Allah, give, grant us beneficial knowledge. Because not every knowledge is beneficial to us all the time. Right? Sometimes we have to develop a certain level of understanding. For example, when I first started studying Aqidah, and I was telling somebody about it, they said, you know, this is all just you know, useless, futile philosophy, and it's not really necessary, you don't need to go into it. Maybe six, six seven years later, I was studying in South Africa, and I was speaking to the same person who was back home, here in America, and he said... You know, if you can specialize in one thing, it should be aqidah, I think. That's so important. Because at the time, it wasn't beneficial for him. He didn't understand the, the, the need for it. Now it's become beneficial knowledge for him. Right? So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for beneficial knowledge. Otherwise, knowledge could even you know, lead somebody. It could be a proof against them right, if they don't act. And so, inshallah, uh, each week what we'll do is we'll go through the different names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We won't necessarily do one name a week. We may do multiple names in one, you know, per week. We may do, uh, you know, one name may go take a couple of weeks. Um, but inshallah, by the end of spring quarter, that's the goal that we'll, inshallah, finish the book and the 99 names of Allah by spring quarter. And in hopes that also we memorize these names, you know, in hopes that inshallah ta'ala we memorize these names. We memorize, focus on trying to memorize maybe a few names a week. You know, three, four, five names a week. By the end of the, the, end of the year, inshallah, we can have all the names memorized. <clears throat> Any questions so far? Okay, so inshallah, uh, this week, we'll just do a bit of uh, introduction and not really get into the names, actual 99 names. So first of all, the 99 names, they are not inclusive of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The name Allah. Because every single name, all of these 99 names of Allah Ta'ala, they have a different benefit, they have a different meaning. They're not synonyms for each other. So the first couple of names that we'll do is Ar-Rahman and Ar-Rahim. Usually we take those to mean, uh, you know, as like a synonyms, right? The compassionate, the most merciful, we interchange them. However, they have a different... Oh, okay. Is there sugar in it? Yeah. 
stuff. Okay. So uh, I'm a big tea guy. Um, <clears throat> so every name, uh, there's no synonyms. Imam Ghazali, rahimullah, he mentions this, that there's no synonyms in the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Every one of them has a different meaning and a different benefit. And so if you make dhikr by one of the names of Allah ta'ala, it will grant you a different type of benefit. Right? So some, uh, in, for example, uh, the Athgar books of Imam Nawi, rahimullah, he mentions to put your hand on your head after salah and say, Ya Qawi. Right? Qawi means strong, strength. The one of, the pers- the one of strength. Why does he say this? Because it should strengthen your mind. For example, right? Um, it has been, you know, the, the habit of some of the companions of the Prophet was after Salah they would say, Ya Nur, and they would blow on their fingers and they would wipe their eyes. Nur means light. So it was the benefit that they saw in that was that it would improve your eyesight. Right? These are like dunyawi, worldly benefits. And that's fine too. Call on the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those different types of things. <clears throat> but every name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a different benefit because it has a different meaning. But the name Allah is a name that comprises of all the 99 names. In it, it has, it, me, it keeps all of the names, the 99 names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this one meaning, in this one word. There is one uh, hadith wherein the Prophet ﷺ, he said to the effect that if you call on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by ismul a'zam, by the great name, the magnificent name, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it incumbent upon himself to uh, answer that prayer of yours. However, Rasulullah didn't tell us what that ismul a'dham was. So some of the you know, ulama have tried to deduce it. It's something we don't have that knowledge. Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimullah, he said that could it be any other name than the name Allah? Could it be any other name? Because this was a name that means, has all the, na- the meanings of, uh, of the different names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is a name that just saying the name Allah has so much benefit. Has so much benefit. For example, there's a hadith of the Prophet somewhere and he said uh, that the last hour, meaning the day of judgment, will not come as long as there is even one person saying Allah, Allah. So as long as there's one person even saying Allah, then the last day will not come. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving them a chance for tawbah. And we know from other narrations of the Prophet that that uh, the last day will not, when, when the last day is coming and those last few Muslims are remaining, first of all, the last day will not come as long as there is any Muslim still left. So before the last day, Allah Ta'ala will send a cool breeze and take the, the souls of all the Muslims and He will give them a death and then He will bring the day of judgment. However, the state of the Muslims at that time, they won't know anything about the deen. They will say, La ilaha illallah, but they won't know what it means. And so people, the Sahaba asked that, Ya Rasulullah, what benefit will it give them? That Rasulullah told them, they will say La ilaha illallah and they will say, I don't know what it means, but we know our forefathers used to say it. So when the companions asked, what, what benefit will it give them? He said that the benefit will be the difference between Jannah and Jahannam. That just saying that much, affirming that there is one Allah and that Rasulullah was his last messenger and you don't know anything else, eventually it will be a means for you to attain Jannah. Right? Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there will be some aqidah points in this book. Um, I, I don't plan on going too deep into it, but to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala requires some bit of aqidah. Um, so on, an, you know, on a side note, it doesn't mean that we simply believe in Allah and that's enough for our salvation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can, can take us into Jannah or give someone Jahannam for any reason. For any reason. It's not that, oh, okay, you have you know, a million good deeds and you have five bad deeds and so you'll get Jannah and you won't get Jannah. 
Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't count our deeds on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. He weighs our deeds. So He looks at the weight of those deeds. And so you might have a lot of deeds, but you did them insincerely. You did them to show off, for example. Those will be rejected by Allah ta'ala. Right? But what this hadith that saying La ilaha illallah means, and that will be a means for their Jannah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might judge them differently possibly that, uh, because there was no one around to teach them. They had no access to, be, uh, to anyone to be taught the dictates of the Sharia of Islam. And so all they can be held accountable is for that one belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? In His oneness. Uh, or it could mean that maybe you know, somebody might be punished for a time and then they will go to Jannah eventually. W- you know, the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala cannot be fully understood. Right? And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will judge us and He is just in judging. Right? We can't say that, uh, well, I knew so much and I, you know, I did so many good works, so now I'm guaranteed Jannah. But the only guarantee of Jannah is those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to Rasulullah as a guarantee for Jannah. You know? And there's a few, uh, a few of them. And so this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has a lot of benefit and a lot of barakah in it. As long as somebody's even mentioning the name of Allah ta'ala, the day of judgment will be delayed. Imagine. This, this magnificent day, this day that every single prophet and messenger informed his people about will be delayed just because somebody is still saying Allah, Allah in the world. So now what if we learn about Allah? We get to know our Creator. Then what will happen? What heights can we reach? Now, Imam Ghazali rahimullah, in speaking about the different names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says that whoever has no part in the meanings, meaning the ma'rifah of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the realization of what these names are, <clears throat> except that they hear the words and understand the linguistic meaning of their explanation and their determination, or that he believe in them with his heart, this person has a lowly rank. Meaning if we simply know what they are, we know what the translation is, we have a general understanding of what they might be. It's good, it's not useless, but this is actually a lower rank. Then there's something greater. And he says, why? Because hearing them only requires the ability to be able to hear something, and this is something that even the animals have the ability to do. And he says, knowing their meaning only requires a little bit of no- uh, knowledge of the Arabic language, and he says, this is something that the Bedouins even accomplish. However, uh, and affirming their meanings, meaning saying, I do believe in these names also, affirming their meanings that, okay, Allah Ta'ala, yeah, He's merciful, I know He's merciful. He says, this is something that's accomplished by even children. Right? So it's nothing great that we say, okay, well, I know what the names are, I know the translation of them, and I agree, I affirm that they are true of Allah Ta'ala. So this is a lower rank. But those who truly draw near to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they attain a sense of ma'rifah, a sense of realization of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And they have a few shares with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this regard. Right? We'll explain what we mean by shares. So he says the first share is that they share a knowledge of their meanings by way of witnessing and unveiling. An unveiling of what this, the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala truly are. Meaning knowing their essence. Knowing their essence. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is a being that we cannot fully comprehend Him. It's impossible. We can't fully understand Him. We can uh, give examples to better understand Him, but those examples are even limited. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said in the Qur'an, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ That there is nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing at all like Allah ta'ala. So people try and think, well, what, you know, what does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala look like, for example? Anything that comes to your mind... It is not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nothing. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is without body, right? He's a being that exists, and we don't understand his full essence. And so the ulama and Imam Ghazali rahimullah, he makes a point that we are meant to, we are meant to 
think about, make dhikr and ponder over the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the different attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because every name of His is actually an attribute of His. It's an attribute of His that is not removed from Him. So for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Khaliq. Right? He is the Creator. Before He created, He was still Al-Khaliq. Right? Whereas normally, somebody is maybe, you know, uh, for example, we'll say somebody is a basketball player. They are a basketball player as long as they are playing basketball. Right? We say somebody is a teacher. They are a teacher as long as they are teaching. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, His attributes, they remain with Him. They are not removed of Him, uh, from Him. They, were not, they did not come, become a part of His being at uh, some other point in time. They've always been with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So his, all His names and His attributes, they are without beginning, just like Allah ta'ala is without beginning. And they are without end, just like Allah ta'ala is without end. So He says to understand the realities of them. And the second share is to... Uh, that they will have this high esteem of the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says, this is understood by uh, the knowledge of seed of longing, meaning the longing to be near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to attain this proximity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So to have this type of knowledge, but only to the extent, meaning this, this seed of longing can only be, or rather he says that this realization of the names of Allah ta'ala, it can only be attained if we have this, the knowledge of the seed of longing for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says, how can this seed come into our hearts? How can this seed be planted? This can only be planted if we free our hearts from all those things that distract us from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the thorns of passions and those things uh, that bear no fruit. So he says, for example, we know the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but why can we not realize, why can we not have this realization of what they are? Right? This realization meaning this, this true understanding and unveiling and this proximity with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through these names. Because he says that these names, these are like seeds. And you take a seed and you plant it into some fertile ground. And it grows. It harvests. It bears fruit. But if you take a seed and you put it, that same seed that would have had a lot of fruit and been very lush, you take that same seed and you put it in infertile ground. You put it in soil that's not very, you know, it's not very good growing soil, for example or you don't plant it properly, then that seed will not grow. Right? Like this reminds me, I was, uh, when I was studying in South Africa, then I, wanted, I always wanted to mint, uh, mix mint into my tea. Right? And so I, I took a plant and I, plant, I put it into the ground. But I didn't actually have like, a shovel or a spade or anything to dig into the ground. So, you know, I mean, you're, you know, you're in South Africa, third world country, you're, kinda, you're in this madrasa, you don't have a lot of things at your hands, right? So I just took like a little bucket and I started scraping away at the ground. And I put this, uh, this mint into the ground and it didn't last. It, it, kind of, it lasted for a little while and then it was just gone. It got overtaken. Mint is a, a plant that actually grows. It spreads like a weed, you know, but it wasn't planted properly. It wasn't planted correctly. So it, something that spreads like a weed just went away. It didn't even last, didn't even survive. So he says in the same way that you take this, the seed of this knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the seeds of his names, and we put it into our hearts with our, which are already filled with so many passions and things that are other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it does not allow this seed to bear fruit. And that fruit is the love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then he goes into the name of Allah. Right? And we mentioned that the name of Allah, which is all-encompassing of all the other names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he says that this name is a name that actually uh, has no plurals. Uh, and it is a name that is not derived from anything. So if, if somebody has any knowledge of Arabic, you have uh, every word, pretty most words, they have a root word, 
right? So, for example, uh, you might have uh, a sabir, for example, right? The patient person, right? Or shukr, for example. This comes from the root letters sheen, gaf, and ra, right? So you take the word and it's it can be derived from it. You can break it down into root letters. Or, for example, istighfar, right? Istighfar is a better example. There's like six or seven letters in the word istighfar. And which this means to seek forgiveness. The root letters coming from ghafara, ghain, fa, and ra. So you break down the word istighfar to the word, the root letters of ghafara, and it means to forgive, right? To forgive. Istighfar means to seek forgiveness. So it's not meant to be a, a, a language lesson. But you can do this with pretty much every word of Arabic, most words. The, the name Allah has no root form and it does not have any plural. Most other words also in the Arabic language. You have a singular form, you can put it into a dual form, you can put it into a plural form. But the name Allah has no plural. And so he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose this name for himself. He chose this name for himself because it is perfect in describing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his most magnificent attribute is his oneness. Right? It is his oneness. The oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is what the prophets and the messengers called towards. They called everyone towards the oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. To believe in Allah alone. So when we say, La ilaha illallah, we are negating every other deity except for Allah. We say there is no God, there is no deity at all. This is actually a very deep statement. Because you, La, which means not or a negation or no. There's different types of La's. There's different types of negations in the Arabic language. This type of negation negates everything else, saying there's nothing other than Allah. And so Imam Ghazali says that Allah Ta'ala has chosen this name Allah for himself. Because it has no, one of the reasons is it has no plurals. So it is perfect in describing the absolute oneness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That there is truly nothing in form, in essence, in feature, in attribute, nothing like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is completely alone. His oneness is, that's it. He is one. Right? And He is alone in that oneness as well. And He says that the name of Allah is so specific that it cannot be shared metaphorically or literally. So we have other ways that we call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. <clears throat> For example, we'll call upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as Rabb, Lord, right? our, our, our Lord. Right? And there's so many uh, supplications we make, right? Rabbana, right? Oh, our Lord, and then we make a long supplication coming from the Qur'an. But Imam Ghazali says that this word Rabb, this can even be shared by others, whereas the name Allah cannot be shared by anything else. So for example, you can say... Uh, <clears throat> You can, you can say Rabbul Mal in Arabic, right? And this means the owner of the wealth, right? Whoever owns the wealth, right? Or Rabbul Kitab, right? So I own this book. So I'm the Rabbul Kitab, right? The Rabb of this book, right? It doesn't mean I'm the, the deity or the Lord. But this word Rabb, although it's used for Allah, it can be shared for other people and for other things. But Allah, that, that word cannot be shared by anybody. You cannot say like, you know, Allahul Kitab or something like that, right? You can't say anything like that. It cannot be shared by anything else. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He is perfect and He is absolute in His oneness. And He says that it is said that all other names are names of Allah, but, but not that Allah is the name. So for example, He goes into a technical point. He says that all of these other names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they are His names, but He is not that name. Right? So we say, He is Allah. Right? And we say that, uh, for example, we'll say the grateful one, right? Ash-shukur, that that is a name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we won't say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is like the thankful one, right? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is thankful, 
right? And these are all very deep technical points. Inshallah, when we come across to those names, then inshallah we'll we'll get into uh, more of what that means. Uh, so inshallah, I didn't want to keep this lesson too long because it's the first lesson, just sort of an introduction into uh, what to expect. Um, inshallah, next week we'll continue on with uh, uh, Ar-Rahman and maybe get into Ar-Rahim because they are similar and they are, they do, you know, they they have a share in each other. But as Imam Ghazali mentions, they are not uh, they are not synonyms because no name of Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is a synonym. Right? And this actually goes into uh, the Quran, for example, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only mentions those things which are uh, necessary to mention. You know, so in the Quran, we won't find any dates, for example, of when an event took place. Because it's not necessary. We have to draw a lesson from the Quran. Right? And <clears throat> this actually you know, also shows people the, the authentication, you know, the authenticity of the Quran. Right? Because uh, other people, in some of their holy books, they've, they, to try and prove their authenticity, they, they added in you know, specific dates and years and all these different types of things. And they went into a great amount of detail in certain aspects. And those, as- those you know, people came across, came along later on and said, well, you know, it's impossible. For example, um, they might have described the, ar- the armor of a particular individual, right? Like, for example, in the story of David and Goliath, right? Dawud al-Islam. Some others have gone into great detail as to what was the armor of, of Goliath like. Now people have come along and said, well, historians have said that... Uh, this story seems to be a fabrication because the armor that's described for Goliath did not, uh, it wasn't used except by, I think, you know, Greek armies 300 years later or 3,000 years later or something. So now people have started doubting because other people in trying to prove their authenticity, they, you know, put in certain details that weren't necessary. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Quran, He only mentions what's necessary. And everything He mentions in the Quran, He mentions for a specific reason and purpose. And so the names Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed about himself to us, he has revealed for a specific reason. He wouldn't reveal one name uh, and then just reveal it again in a different way later on just to, you know, for the sake of it. He has a very specific reason and purpose behind uh, every name that he has revealed to us. Inshallah, I wanted to leave some time for uh, questions as well. Um, also, the, the ayah that was recited in the beginning, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, uh, in the Quran, in Surah Hashr, right? He says, That He is Allah, He is the Creator and the Shaper, right? The Fashioner. Um, and He says, Lahul husna, That to Him belong the most beautiful names. And all that is in the heavens and the earth, they glorify Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through those names. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the Mighty, the Wise. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us about His. Uh, his names, his asma'ul husna, his beautiful names in the Quran, he mentions them. So, is there any, uh, I wanted to leave some time for questions as well. Does anybody have any questions? I think, you know, I mean, I think the English language is a bit more limited than a lot of other languages. Um, I'm not saying it's like, you know, completely limited and, you know, 
doesn't have depth, but I think uh, as opposed to other languages, it is more limited, you know. Not only Arabic, but, you know, even, for example, like you might have French and, you know, German, these types of languages. Um, and so in Arabic, right, what happens is people make a translation. And now Allah does not translate into he because Allah is without gender, right? We don't say he is male or he's female, right? Um, <clears throat> but in Arabic uh, and in many other uh, languages, everything has a masculine and a feminine, Right? It doesn't mean it's male and female. For example, in French, right, a table is feminine. Right? I think salad is feminine. You're not saying that, oh, this is a woman. Right? Even in English, we'll refer to a car, people refer to their car as she. Right? In Arabic also, car is a feminine word. It doesn't mean you're giving it a, a gender, a, meaning like a, um, ascribing a certain sex to it, right? saying that it's a woman or a male. But every word is either a masculine word or a feminine word. And so the word Allah um, is a masculine word. But it doesn't mean that he's, you know, that, it, uh, that Allah is like a male as opposed to a female. Um, and also, you know, the, just the way I think, um, this is just my own thoughts on it, that I think that people, <clears throat> generally when he is used for something, it's used as a more general, in more general terms, right? Um, but when people say she, then, then they'll, uh, they'll, for example, they might uh, conclude specifically that, okay, like it's a woman or something that's being spoken about. Right? Generally. I mean, this is not like, I'm not saying this is the reason why we say he or, he or she or whatever about Allah, but I think just generally this is how people's state of mind works. Right? So when you say he, then traditionally people never associated that to mean that Allah is a male. But if you say she, then people start thinking, well, okay, that means Allah is a female, and then you, you put a gender to it. You know, does that make sense? So we're not saying that Allah is a male or a female, because Allah Ta'ala, that's trying to make Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like us. Right? We are right, male, female, whatever. Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, لَيْسَ كَمِثْلِهِ شَيْءٍ That there's nothing like him. So he is without body, he is without form. You know, he is without uh, physical, he does not have a physical body, right? Um, so even, for example, people will say, I don't want to jump too far ahead in the book, just like describing the different names of Allah. Then you'll, question, you'll have these questions for however many months it takes us to get there. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, in general, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, he is without body. So anytime you think of oh, Allah ta'ala having a body or an arm or a face or something like that, it's, um, it's not accurate. Right? And Allah ta'ala says in the Qur'an that everything on Yawm al-Qiyamah will, will be what, like demolished or will cease to exist except waj, the waj of Allah. Now waj in Arabic means face, but we won't translate this to mean the face of Allah. Because what would that mean? If, we, if Allah ta'ala had a body... That would mean we're saying, okay, his whole body will also go away except his face will stay. Right? Like the Wizard of Oz or something, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, it means the countenance or the pleasure of Allah or his dominion over everything, you know? Um, yeah, so it's not, it's not, we're not ascribing a gender to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's just the word itself is like a masculine name uh, or a masculine word. Any other questions? Yeah, I, um, actually, Imam Uzzali, which I'm glad you asked that, um, he actually mentions that specifically. <clears throat> um, he says that, you know, we should, I just wanted to quote him. Um, he says that, you know, through these learning of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we should, we should ponder over them um, and try to observe 
how they are applying to us and how they are applying in the world. So for example, when we do the name Ar-Rahman, right, which means the most merciful, then understanding, right, when Imam Ali Rahimullah, he'll go into it, what does it mean, Ar-Rahman, he'll, he'll go into what does Ar-Rahman Rahim mean, mean, that Allah Ta'ala is the, the most merciful of those that have mercy. So he gives us those lessons and he teaches us those things, and then we start looking around in our life and start trying to recognize these different mercies in our daily life, right? This is how we can try and implement this knowledge, right? Because how do you act on Ar-Rahman, right? Is to recognize how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving you, showing you His mercy, right? How Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing you these, um, these different lessons and try and implement it into our life that way, right? We're not, we don't uh, go into depth into thinking about, well, how is Allah ta'ala, you know, uh, for example, Al-Khaliq, right? For example, uh, it may have come across people's minds. We say, okay, Allah Ta'ala is Al-Khaliq. So He was always the Creator before there was even anything to create. Right? Then we start thinking about time and, okay, how does time apply to Allah and all these things. Those are Aqidah questions and they are there, right? They are answerable. Um, but it doesn't mean to ponder it in those aspects. It means to ponder the, the names of Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala and how they apply to our lives. And I think that's like one of the biggest goals that we can have. That we, we think about these things. That way we can establish a relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, and one of the things is to, is to be, be positive, right? We have a positive outlook on life. Because negativity is very taxing and tiring. You know? And oftentimes, uh, I mean this is so, more sort of like getting into next week. Do we have to go now? Inshallah <laughs> um, we'll get into that uh, next week. But Imam Ghazali, one thing I wanted to mention also is he mentions that Knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, um, there's three types, of, three types of creations you can say, right? Three levels of creation, uh, for example. And he says the angels, the level of man, and the level of beasts. Right? So beasts are those that just act on their base desires, right? They, whatever it is that they need, they need to eat, they eat. They need to mate, they mate. And whatever, they feel like killing something, right? like a grizzly bear. It'll go kill another bear just for the sake of killing it, not even to eat it. You know, so they act solely on their base desires. Angels um, technically have the highest, the loftiest position, right? The highest position. Because they don't act based on desires. Their acting is solely on the commands of Allah Ta'ala. So they don't have any desire to, they don't have any desire to sin. They don't have any desire to like, they just do what Allah Ta'ala has told them. That's it, right? They don't have any, any will. So insan, man is in between these two. Because man has base desires. However, man can achieve, like humankind, it can achieve a loftier status than the angels. And this is described of Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. That when on, on Yom al-Qiyamah, when he's going into Jannah, the angels, there's eight different gates of Jannah. And, and there's different uh, angels standing at every gate. And each of them will call upon, Allah, uh, upon Abu Bakr to enter from their gate. Because they will feel an honor that Abu Bakr enters through my gate. So the ulama say that Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu, he's reached a status higher than the angels. Because he had these base desires, but he overcame them. He overcame his nafs. He removed those different passions of his heart, and he started acting solely for the sake of Allah. And he had the will to do it. Whereas the angels don't have the will. Allah gives a command and they do it. Humankind has the ability to disobey. And despite that, when you obey Allah Ta'ala, then you reach a higher status, a loftier status, than, than even that of the, of the angels. Right. And then also uh, going into... Um, just mentioning, sorry, I'm kind of going out of order. I get, you know, I start uh, just talking too much. I don't even look at my notes oftentimes. <laughs> uh, but Imam Uzzayi, you know, one point, inshallah, we'll finish off on that. He mentions that 
by knowing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how will it allow us to gain, gain this proximity with Allah? And that is, he says that, for example, uh, when there's a disciple and he observes the perfection of his master in knowledge, longing will be triggered in him to be like him and to follow his example, unless he be filled with hunger. For example, for example, so that the preoccupation of his innards for food could prevent the longing for knowledge from arising in him. So when you have a master and student, that student will desire to be like their master when they see perfection in them. And so we like sports figures, for example, right? Or in East, you know, Eastern cultures and different like types of martial arts and these types of things. There was a, uh, you know, or even like uh, in, you know, maybe older times, right? People didn't go to university and schools. They would just go and become an apprentice of whatever trade they wanted to learn. When they understood the perfection of that master in trade, then they were like, well, this person's perfect. I need to act exactly how he acts. I need to do exactly what he does. And so they would long to be exactly like them and implement perfectly what they would, uh, what the master was doing. And what would they do is they would start learning more and more about the master, right? About their teacher. So Imam Ghazali, he says that, uh, that we also, by learning the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right, we start recognizing the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then that perfection will allow us to, going back to the points we mentioned in the beginning, enable us to, to do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded and act solely for His pleasure. Except if you have, right, it can only be blocked if you have, uh, uh, if, you're, if your mind is clouded with something else, right, with your innards. So he mentions food, for example, that the disciple gets hungry. So he knows I need to work on this, you know, like a blacksmith, for example, or a, a calligraphy artist, right? I need to work on this for, you know, however many hours a day, you know? But then he gets hungry, right? Or he gets sleepy and he wants to go to sleep or he wants to eat. He'll take a break from it. So that will prevent him from practicing and working hard, right? So Imam Ghazali draws this example and similarly says that when we give in to our nafs and our base passions and desires, then that will become a block for us to gain that proximity and knowing the, the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then gaining that realization and ma'rifah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that Imam Ghazali rahimullah speaks about. Does that answer the Question. Yeah. Yeah. I said, you know, um, maybe this is not the right time for me to ask because these are the probably the later questions. But how we have the names like Kotukafir um, or we have Gajabar, uh, you know, these are the names too. Yeah. How do we reflect to that? How do we? How do we learn that? Like, what should we get? Uh, inshallah, I mean, when we get to those names, then we'll yeah, go into yeah. it. But um, those, you know, for example, we always, like mutakabbir, right? That generally, when we translate it in our mind, we think the, the one that's arrogant, right? So we think, well, arrogance is like a bad quality, right? But our deficiency here is that we're looking at, we're again, we're equating Allah Ta'ala to us, right? Because there's a hadith wherein the Prophet said that, uh, to the effect that, uh, like, Allah is the only one worthy of having pride, deserving of having pride. Right? Because Allah Ta'ala is the one that did everything. Right? He fashioned everything. He made everything. He's the only one that's independent. Whereas us, even if we become filthy rich, we're really not independent of anything. We're still dependent upon our wealth. We're dependent upon you know, the people working for us, our business, whatever it may be. So we don't have any. And it was Allah Ta'ala that gave us everything. Uh, so we have no reason to be proud because we didn't accomplish anything on our own. It was only through the mercy of Allah that we accomplished. Whereas Allah is completely independent. So if Allah Ta'ala is mutakabir, well, He's rightful for His... Takabur, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, um, you know, there is also a hadith in Sahih Bukhari, it comes, 
to the effect that Rasulullah said that uh, uh, it's along the lines of Allah Ta'ala creating humankind in His image. So we hear this oftentimes when we, you know, in, in uh, dialogue, with dialogue with uh, people of the Christian faith. And in the dialogue that I've had with Christians, for example, they'll say that they'll take that to mean um, that, uh, you know, Allah, Allah, God looked at Himself and He made man, right? And so because they have their uh, belief in Jesus, peace be upon Him, being Allah, right? Um, however, the way we interpret that is through these attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Meaning, we can share in the attributes of Allah ta'ala in name, but not in reality, right? So Allah ta'ala is merciful and His mercy is absolute and perfect. However, we can also have mer- show mercy amongst Allah's creation, right? So we cannot atri- achieve that, that rahmah and mercy that Allah has achieved, uh, and that we'll get into more next week. However, um, we can have some like, you know, you know, distorted mirror reflection of that rahmah and that mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? Which is to, for example, you know, ch- uh, being merciful towards people, right? Um, yeah, so inshallah, like, those, those types of names we'll get into more, like, we'll go into detail about those when you arrive at that. I just got a question about, I mean, what do you think about the other religions using the word Allah? I mean, to refer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Would that be, you know, is that a right for Islam just to use that Allah and not for them? Uh, I mean, Allah has many names, right? Like we're doing. And so different, um, you know, languages might translate it differently. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, if I was, you know, you can't stop someone from another faith using the name Allah. And, you know, the name Allah has a lot of uh, blessings, right? It's very possible that just them using the name could be a mean for them being guided to Islam, possibly, right? I personally wouldn't do it like if I was speaking about... I mean, at the end of the day, if you're speaking about the same being, then it's, it doesn't make a difference, right? Whether I say Allah or whether I say God, it doesn't make a difference, you know? But I wouldn't do it in terms of, for example, when you describe maybe another faith and their understanding of, of God, right? So, for example... Right. Um, if people of like the Christian faith, for example, like they have belief in the Trinity, right? Uh, for example, and if they use the name Allah, and then they say they talk about the Trinity and they go in, in depth into their theology and everything, it may con- get confusing for us thinking like, okay, we might hear, oh, Allah, so we think that okay, well, Muslims use Allah, so this must be like a Muslim, and whereas it's actually talking about the Christian faith, you know. So I mean, I would I would avoid it to avoid confusion, but. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, whether you say Allah, whether you say God, it's the same, right? Same being that we're speaking about, right? Now, if they're speaking about like another, um, for example, like the Hindus have, you know, Ram, for example. They're speaking about Ram, yeah, then I wouldn't, I wouldn't say, yeah, okay, say Allah. Or call on Allah by, by that name, by Ram, right? If you call on Allah by God, well, that's, I don't see any problem with that. But, 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 but calling upon Allah by a name... That is specific to that faith, like Ram is for Hindus or any other faith, something like that. Like, if you guys understand that, that I wouldn't do because um, that that starts showing, that starts bringing too much similarity and will cause could cause a lot of confusion. You know. Um, yeah, just that my question is that when other, I mean, the Christians, for example, they use it. So, do we have to separate them from it? And then I think if they if they were to say something if they were to say something that would go against our belief in Allah, 
then we should correct them and say, well, this is not Allah. Allah is, and we correct that, correct that, right? Um, and it's similar, like they'll similarly, like when you know, speaking to Christians and things, they'll say to, for example, when I'll say God, then they'll say, you know, like I was discussing, there was a Christian missionary that uh, approached me in the street, and so we were speaking about Allah, and you know, uh, he said something that goes against the mercy of Allah. So I said, are you saying that Allah is not merciful? He said. No, I, I said, are you saying God is not merciful? He said, no, God is merciful, but Allah is not merciful. It's like, well, change, I mean, give it a different translation. It doesn't change the fact we're speaking about the same being. You know what I mean? Um, but I, I think stopping, uh, just correcting the, what they're saying about Allah, if it's incorrect, is the more important thing, more crucial. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that actually, um, especially, especially people maybe coming from like Lebanon and stuff. There's a lot of Lebanese Christians and stuff like that. So it's kind of part of the, the language, right? Arabic, it's understood. I mean, even the, the, the uh, idolaters of Quraysh, right, in the time of the Prophet, they used, to, they, they used to say Allah also. They didn't use it for like Lat and Uzza and some of the other idols, but they understood there's this being, this greater being, and it is Allah. So they would also use that, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, I think looking at the context, right? Like in the context that she mentioned, that's not really a big deal. No. Any other questions? We end up going till five. I feel bad somebody left actually because I think I said that we're wrapping up. Okay, inshallah. Wa akhir da'wan alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Let's make a quick supplication. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. اللهم اغفر أمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم ارحم أمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم أصلح أمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم اهدي أمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم اللهم فرج الكرب عن أمة محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم والله we ask you to guide us to forgive us of our sins and keep us guided after having shown us the right way to grant us strength to walk on that path Ya Allah let us be those people that please you Ya Allah let us be beacons of light that you use to guide all of mankind, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, protect us and protect all those that are suffering around the world, Ya Allah. All those that have any type of suffering, ailment, illness, sickness, monetary suffering, Ya Allah, people that are suffering from war. Ya Allah, protect all of them and protect all of us, Ya Allah. And let us be sources of guidance and let us be those people whom you are pleased with and grant us a life that is pleasing to you, grant us a death that is pleasing to you and raise us on Yawm Al-Qiyamah with those that have pleased you. And Ya Allah, let us be those people who... You boast about to your angels, Ya Allah, and let us be those people who Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is pleased to look upon us and, and have as a part of his ummah. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifoon wa salam al mursaleen wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Did everybody sign the sign-up sheet? Um, I'll try to, sometimes I get very busy and things, so I'll try to um, like send out like a summary or something like that in the following week. Yeah, okay. Because we brought like purple stuff. Okay. Yeah, we're gonna pray here.